Welcome to the Golden Age of Comic Books. Hey, Golden Age fans, Happy New Year. Welcome to the Golden Age of Comic Books podcast for our first episode of 2008. This is Bill Jordan, your host, and I'm very glad you're here for this episode. We've got a good show coming up. We're going to talk about the Golden Age superhero known as the Black Hood, and I think you'll enjoy that topic uh, from the MLJ superhero run of comic books way back in the Golden Age of Comics, so stay tuned for that. Before we talk about the Black Hood, though, I wanted to mention a uh, book that came out in 2007 that I should have mentioned back in our uh, early December show. That would have been our uh, episode uh, on December 9th, 2007, the 54th installment of the Golden Age of Comic Books. And that is uh, a book that came out that I really enjoyed. That is the DC Archive Edition, The Golden Age, Dr. Fate, Volume 1. This book was a lot bigger than the normal DC Archive books uh, that have been coming out. Uh, in fact, it carried a whopping cover price of $75 U.S. However, this book contains every single episode uh, of, of the Dr. Fate uh, feature from More Fun Comics that started with issue number 55 and ran all the way through issue number 98. Now, I covered the Golden Age Dr. Fate way back in February of 2006 in the 35th installment of the Golden Age of Comic Books. So, if you want to learn about Dr. Fate, you can uh, check out that episode of our podcast. But you can also read along if you pick up this DC Archives book of the uh, Dr. Fate stories from More Fun Comics. So, check that out if you're a fan of the modern Dr. Fate. I think you'll enjoy learning about Dr. Fate's origins and reading his very earliest and, quite frankly, all of his Golden Age adventures that appeared um, in his solo run in More Fun Comics. So check that book out. As I mentioned, it's $75 U.S. That's the cover price, but uh, I think you'll be able to find it uh, discounted at various online sources, including in-stock trades and others. And speaking of DC Comics uh, archives, I did find uh, uh, out a lot of information after the Mary Marvel episode uh, that I posted. That was also our 54th episode, as I mentioned, of the Golden Age of Comic Books. Uh, several of you emailed me and reminded me that uh, DC published the Shazam Family Archives Volume 1 and that the origin story of Mary Marvel from Captain Marvel Adventures actually appeared as the last story in that book. And I have that book, and I don't know why I overlooked it. Uh, I was more focused on the uh, Shazam from the 30s to the 70s book. But uh, you can get that Mary Marvel origin reprint in the Shazam Family Archive. So check that out if you're interested in reading the very first appearance of Mary Marvel in the comic book world. And again, that uh, story is actually reprinted in the Shazam Family Archives in color. And the Shazam from the 30s to the 70s books uh, is actually in black and white there. So I think you'll probably enjoy it more reading it in the Shazam Family Archive book. And again, I want to thank everybody who emailed me about that episode and let me know that. Uh, kind of embarrassed that I didn't pull that book off the shelf before I recorded the podcast. Uh, but again, thanks to everybody who pointed that out. Uh, and I think you'll probably uh, enjoy that story, as I mentioned. And one other uh, comment about the 54th episode of the Golden Age of Comic Books podcast. I did talk about, at the end of that episode, the invisible Scarlett O'Neill. I mentioned my friend Mike Gordon, who had provided me with the the uh, text piece regarding the origin of that character. Uh, Mike did respond to the podcast uh, with an email to me and with a post at the forum at the uh, Comic Geek Speak forum. 
and he reminded me that uh, there's a new website that they've created, uh, invisiblescarletoneal.com. Uh, it was under construction the last time I checked it, but hopefully it'll be up soon, and you'll be able to learn a lot more about that character. So again, uh, thanks to Mike for giving us that information, and I hope those of you who are interested in the Invisible Scarlet O'Neill will check out that website and maybe can communicate with Mike through the forum at Comic Geek Speak. That's the golden age of comic books podcast forum, and you'll find it there uh, at uh, the comic forums, I believe, is the uh, actual web address, comicforums.com. All right, well, let's talk about the golden age Black Hood from MLJ Comics. You know, when most people think about MLJ Comics, or as it became Archie Comics, they think of none other than Archie Andrews. And, of course, these days, uh, that title pretty much limits itself to Archie and the gang. But back in the golden age of comics, as we've talked about a couple of other times when we've discussed The Hangman and The Shield, uh, MLJ started out as a serious superhero um, uh, company, just like so many others did, and published a number of different uh, titles under the MLJ banner. And one of those titles was called Top Notch Comics, and uh, it started out featuring uh, a variety of characters. But with issue number nine, we learned about a brand new superhero who came onto the scene. That was the June 1940 issue. And this superhero was created by Al Kamey and Cliff Campbell. And he was known as the Black Hood, Man of Mystery. And his first adventure in Top Notch number 9 also contained his origin story. And uh, let's talk about that now and learn a little bit about the Black Hood. And then we'll talk about uh, his history and the various books in which he appeared in the Golden Age of Comic Books. Now, the Black Hood uh, started out as an ordinary cop on the beat, a cop named... Kip Borland. Now, Borland, as I said, was just a cop on the beat. He wasn't a rich playboy like so many of the superheroes of the golden age of comic books were. He was uh, very well respected in the community. In fact, all of the residents of the neighborhood that he patrolled thought he was just one of the best police officers they'd ever met. In fact, uh, at the beginning of the story, it's even mentioned that all of the children in, in the neighborhood idolized Borland because he was such a good cop and took such good care of the neighborhood. But that all changed late one night when Berland was patrolling the neighborhood that he was assigned to and he uh, in fact indicated that it was 10 minutes until midnight and he thought he would wander past as he called it the old Woodrow Mansion before he knocked off for the night. And the scene shifts and Berland is seen in the distance spying a very sinister and evil looking character who is scaling the wall of the mansion and climbing onto a balcony. This character looked very eerily like the Phantom of the Opera. He had a suit on and an opera cape, uh, a green sinister looking skull type face, green hands, and a red cap on his head. And Berlin rushes to the scene yelling at this character and asks him to stop. And Borland is so taken aback by the appearance of this, this very sinister-looking person that he pauses and drops his gun, very unpoliceman-like. And this character looks at him and says, Fool, you dare to interfere with the skull? And knocks Berland out with one punch. And the skull decides that the cops had generally been on his tail as of late, and he thought uh, the best thing for him to do was to frame this good cop 
with the crime he had just committed, and that was stealing jewels from this mansion. And so while Berlin is lying on the, on the road unconscious, the skull places the stolen jewels in his hand and leaves the scene. He then grabs a police whistle and blows it several times to summon the police and disappears. And later, the police uh, officers, other than Berlin, of course, arrive and find Berlin lying unconscious on the ground with the jewels in his hand and assume that he must have tripped off of the balcony as he was leaving with the stolen jewels in his hand. And then, of course, he is uh, disgraced by the police department. He is stripped of his badge to be a police officer and is released to stand trial for grand larceny at some point in the future. Well, Berlin decides that while he's awaiting trial and he's no longer able to patrol as a police officer, he'll patrol on his own and look for this evil character known as the Skull, who disgraced Berlin and cost him his badge. And so Berlin goes uh, night after night searching for the Skull, and late one night he is at a warehouse where furs are being delivered. And sure enough, he finds a group of, of thugs who are being uh, orchestrated by the skull stealing the furs that were being delivered to the warehouse. And so Berlin races up to them and tells them to halt, and of course they don't. Berlin pulls out his service revolver, which he still has in his possession, and shoots the skull. Unfortunately for Berlin, the skull must be wearing some type of bulletproof clothing. He is not shot by the bullets fired from Berlin's gun. One of the thugs sneaks up behind him and knocks him out with a blackjack. And the skull decides that Berlin has just been too much trouble for him, and he orders four of his thugs to take Berlin, put him in their car, and take him and dispose of him somewhere out away from the city. And so the thugs um, take Berlin, tie him up, put him in the car, and they decide they're going to throw him out in the country. But before they do that, they shoot him full of bullets. Well, one would think that that's the end of Berlin. He's lying on the ground uh, in one of the panels with blood flowing from his body face down in the country. Well, the scene shifts to the cabin of someone who appears to be an old hermit, uh, an old man with uh, uh, a long white beard and white hair who's using a walking stick and an old lantern. He hears the gunshots and races out to find... Berlin's body apparently lying in the grass but then he realizes that this man is barely alive and that perhaps he can save him and he says that I pray that my medical knowledge does not fail me now and he takes Berlin back to his cabin and removes eight bullets from Berlin's body and somehow revives Berlin after many 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 days of recovery and as Berlin finally comes around and is able to talk to this old man, a hermit, who saved his life. They talk about what happened, and Berlin says, well, I'm going to tell you my story. And Berlin describes to this old hermit about the man named the Skull, a living corpse, who took his life away from him, his life as a policeman. And the old hermit looks at him and says, hmm, you know, it was the same person that did the same thing to me when I was a small-town sheriff in an old western town many many years ago and the hermit said he swore to learn everything he could to develop the skills that he would need to defeat the skull 
but he explained that because it took him so very long to learn all of the skills that it would take him to battle and beat the skull, that he was no longer young enough and skillful enough to do that. And Berlin, who is uh, reaching a, a better state of recovery after having eight bullets removed from his body, says, well, you know, I'm a young man and I can be strong again. If you will teach me what you have learned, I will make your fight against the skull my fight because I have reasons to hate him too. And the hermit wisely tells Berlin, well, you know, if I teach you everything that I know about uh, how to fight crime, you not only have to go after the skull, but you must promise to use your knowledge against all crime and all criminals. And so Berlin decides that that is exactly what he's going to do. And so uh, at the panel at the end of that page, you see Berlin in various uh, vignettes, uh, learning how to box, uh, chopping wood to get his strength back, studying books and studying chemistry and other science to learn to be a master crime fighter. And then the, the page changes and the scene shifts to a, a character in a bright yellow and black costume with a red and black belt known as the Black Hood. And the heading on the page says, many months later, the Black Hood is born. And the old hermit says, with the name and costume of the Black Hood, you are now a man of mystery, and that you must remain. For only mystery can strike terror into the hearts of criminals. Sounds kind of like Batman, doesn't it? And then the Black Hood says to the hermit, I'll do that, and you shall not regret having made me your pupil, and now, goodbye. And so the scene shifts to the Black Hood, who has been killing people and robbing and, and pillaging, as you would expect. And as he returns to his lair, he reads in the paper that there is going to be a very, very uh, high society masquerade party for the debut of a young woman, and that the richest men and women in the country are expected to, tend, to attend. And so the skull, in order to strike fear into these possible victims, sends a note to the mother of the daughter, her name is Mrs. Sutton, and it tells her that she needs to be very fearful because the skull will somehow crash that party and rob all of her guests. And so the, the daughter comes into the room, and her name is Barbara Sutton. Remember that name because she becomes a very important character in the life of Kip Berlin, the Black Hood. And uh, they talk about whether they should go forward with this party and risk having their guests killed and robbed and all of these things. And they decide to go forward with the party, um, and they, they do that. And, and, of course, warnings go out to many other people who are going to attend this party. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not really sure why everybody attended the party after getting all these warnings. But, of course, uh, if they hadn't, then the story would have been over. So they did attend the party. But uh, Kit Berlin decides, as he finds out about this, as he reads about it in the paper, that he must somehow crash this party and defeat the skull. And so he goes to the home of a man named David Thaman and tells him that he's going to have to borrow his invitation. And, of course, he does it in such a way that leaves Thaman tied up, tied up uh, in his apartment so that he can't go to the party. The skull, the uh, Black Hood, rather, puts on his Black Hood costume and goes to the masquerade ball as this gentleman named David uh, wearing his new crime-fighting garb. And at the party, of course, he meets Mrs. Sutton and her daughter Barbara, and uh, the party begins. And, uh, of course, uh, 
Mrs. Sutton forgets about the fact that the skull might be there and says, we'll just have this party and everybody will do the best that they can. And even says, yes, go ahead, you children, and dance. All the guests have arrived now, Barbara, so you won't have to greet anyone else at the door. Let's all try to have a good time, even though this terrible shadow was hovering over all of us. Again, I'm not quite sure why everybody went to this party, but they did. And of course, uh, shortly thereafter, what happens is someone yells, help, help, I've been robbed, my pearls, my pearls. But then this person collapses to the floor, their face turning bright green, just like the character of the skull. And it turns out that the skull, somewhere in the room, has shot a poisoned pellet at this woman and stolen her pearls. And she now has a ghastly-looking expression on her face and is dead with the green color of the skull. Again, sounds very reminiscent of some of the Joker gas that we've heard about in the early issues of Detective Comics where Batman battled the Joker. Uh, actually, the early issues of Batman Comics, too. But anyway, we can't uh, say too much about MLJ swiping some of these uh, these stories because I think everybody at this time was probably trying to, to have the same types of stories with the same types of heroes and villains. In any event, I digress, and we go back to the to the party, and the skull is still present, but not in body, only in voice. And a voice comes from somewhere in the room, and it says, Silence, the skull speaks. You have just seen what happens when my victims are noisy. I trust my next customer will be wiser and stay alive. And, of course, Mrs. Sutton and the guest are very, very concerned and uh, decide that that uh, they must go on with the party inexplicably for some reason. And about this time, a number of newspaper photographers appear and ask to take pictures at the party. And the Black Hood, in his uh, disguise, tells them, yes, that's a good idea, but place yourselves up on the balcony so you can get pictures of everything that's happening in the room. And so the party continues, and of course, uh, as you would expect, another woman screams, falls to the ground with the terrible grimace on her face, and her face uh, in her death throes turns green like the face of the skull. And, of course, at this point in time, the uh, members of the party uh, begin to get a little bit more upset and very concerned. The Black Hood races up to the dark room where the photographers have been developing their pictures. Again, I'm not sure why they were developing the pictures as the party was ongoing, but they did. And he spies something in one of the pictures that causes him to solve this ghastly series of crimes that has been going on. And so he races back downstairs, and instead of capturing the skull, he asked Mrs. Sutton, the hostess of the party, to dance. And as they begin to dance, you see the Black Hood and Mrs. Sutton, who was holding her cigarette, long cigarette holder with a cigarette in the end, begin to dance. And she looks at the Black Hood, who she still thinks is David, and says, can't you do something to try to catch the skull? And he says, Mrs. Sutton, I wouldn't dare do that. He's far too dangerous, but I'll catch you. And he throws her into a large urn that is on the ground and, and takes the cigarette holder and throws it out of her hand onto the ground. And of course, she begins to scream, what are you doing to me? And all the guests come running and want to know why David, or of course the Black Hood, has thrown this somewhat elderly woman into an urn uh, in such a way as to perhaps cause injury to her. 
And in one quick movement, the Black Hood reaches over and removes what turns out to be a mask from Mrs. Sutton. And we learn that Mrs. Sutton is actually the skull in disguise. And, of course, the police are summoned and the uh, uh, skull is taken away to face the electric chair or whatever it was that they were going to use to execute him in this day and time. And the young woman named Barbara, who later is known as Babs Sutton, looks at him and says, well, who are you, please? I don't know who you are if you're not David. And she says, well, me? I'm just the Black Hood. And he climbs out of a window and disappears from the scene. And then later he returns to Barbara's room uh, to talk to her more about what had happened after the police had left. And he shows Barbara pictures that were taken by the photographers. And those pictures reveal that the skull disguised as Mrs. Sutton was using the cigarette holder as a blowgun to, sh to blow poison darts into the necks of the victims. And that's how he figured out exactly what had happened. And as he's getting ready to leave, he sa she says to the Black Hood, but, but who are you? And how can I see you again? And why do you run from the police? And he responds, who I really am and why I run from the police, I cannot tell. But if you want to see me, you can look for me wherever crime is being done, wherever innocent people are being oppressed, wherever injustice reigns. There you will always find the Black Hood fighting to right all wrongs. And then the scene shifts to the Black Hood back with the old hermit out in the cabin in the woods, telling him what had happened, that the skull had been taken to the death house, and the old hermit says, oh, my son, you've made a terrible mistake. There is no jail that has been built which can keep the skull from escaping. And the last panel in the story tells us that uh, he's right and that the Black Hood has escaped. And he, and he says, so the Black Hood challenges the skull. He won the first deal, but we'll see. We'll see. And that's the end of the origin story and the first appearance of the Black Hood from the pages of Top Notch Comics number 9 from June of 1940. Now, the skull continued to appear in a number of adventures of the Black Hood that appeared in the pages of Top Notch Comics and was the chief nemesis of this character for many of his early issues until finally uh, being disposed of later on in the golden age of comic books. So let's talk a little bit about uh, where the Black Hood appeared in what issues and in what comics uh, throughout the Golden Age. Now, as I mentioned, he started out in June of 1940 in Top Notch number 9 and continued in that title all the way through issue number 44. That was the April 1944 issue. Now, with issue number uh, 28 of Top Notch Comics, that title actually became Top Notch Laugh, and as I mentioned earlier in the show, of course, uh, MLJ discovered fairly early after the creation and introduction of Archie Andrews that Archie and his uh, family of characters were much more popular than their superhero characters were. And in particular, when the superheroes started to become uh, more unpopular with the public later on, particularly towards the end of World War II, that the funny characters, the Archie Andrews characters and others, uh, were much more popular. And so the title, as I mentioned, changed with issue number 28 to Top Notch Laugh. That was the July 1942 issue. 
And then the title changed completely to just Laugh Comics with issue number 45. That would have been the May 1944 issue. But the Black Hood appeared in that, run, in that title in a con- continuous run all the way through April of 1944. Now, the Black Hood also appeared in other MLJ titles. Uh, he also appeared in a title called Jackpot Comics, where a number of the MLJ superheroes appeared. That uh, comic book debuted with issue number one in the spring of 1941. And, of course, the Black uh, Hood appeared in that comic. And that comic book ran until issue number nine. That was the spring 1943 issue and the last issue of Jackpot Comics. However, the title to that comic book changed to Jolly Jingles Comics, uh, kind of a funny animal humor book. And the star of that comic book, Jolly Jingles Comics, was none other than Super Duck. But we'll talk about him maybe another time. Uh, The Black Hood also appeared in MLJ's flagship title that was pep comics he began his run in pep comics number 48 which of course was after archie andrews had been introduced in pep comics uh, back in issue number 22 and he appeared in pep comics from issue number uh, 48 only through issue number 41 of pep comics uh, and then he came back in uh, issue number 59, but I'm going to talk about issue number 59 and issue number 60 in just a minute. Now, he also had his own title. Uh, that was Black Hood Comics. That was previously known as Hangman Comics. I discussed the Hangman and his title in a previous episode of the Golden Age of Comic Books, so check out that episode if you want to learn more about Hangman and the Hangman comic book. But uh, with issue number 9, that title became Black Hood Comics. That was the winter 1943 issue. And the Black Hood appeared in that title until issue number 19. That was the summer 1946 issue. And I'm going to come back to issue number 19 in just a minute as well. Now, the Black Hood also made a couple of other appearances in some MLJ titles. Uh, One was a book called Black Swan Comics. Uh, Issue number one, it was a one-shot. They reprinted the story of the Black Hood's run from Black Hood Comics number 14 in that particular title. That was a 1945 book. And also in a book called Roly Poly Comic Books, <laughs> believe it or not, uh, he appeared in issues 11 and 12 in stories in that book. And it appears from looking at the covers of Roly Poly Comics that he also appeared on the cover, at least, of issue number 15. All of those books came out in 1945. Now, I mentioned I was going to talk about uh, Pep Comics number 19, excuse me, Black Hood Comics number 19 and Pep Comics numbers 59 and 60. Let me come back to those now and explain why I wanted to save those for last. And the reason I did was something uh, fairly startling happened in the life of the Black Hood in issue number 19 of his own title. In fact, the cover of that particular book uh, kind of spelled it out. It says, Is the Black Hood Exposed? And in issue number 19 of the Black Hood Comics, a villain called Needle Noodle. Now, why was he called Needle Noodle? Well, just imagine uh, the Conehead character, the Dan Aykroyd character from Saturday Night Live that also later on had a, uh, a big screen movie, The Coneheads, and you'll know exactly what Needle Noodle looked like. He looked like a Conehead, but he was called Needle Noodle. He was a uh, very brainy uh, criminal, and he figured out the identity of the Black Hood being Kip Berland. 
And what happened in this particular two-parter that appeared in Black Hood Comics number 19 is that Kit Berlin's secret identity was found out by the public as uh, uh, found out originally by the Needle Noodle, and the Black Hood's secret identity was no more. And at the end of that story, uh, even though Needle Noodle uh, met his demise, the Black Hood, as a costumed crime fighter, as a costumed superhero, also met his end uh, as far as being a costumed uh, hero. And at the very end of that story from Black Hood Comics number 19, the character Kip Berlin became a private detective, and his agency was called the Black Hood Private Detective Agency. And he fought crime from that point forward, having resigned from the police department as a private detective in his civilian clothing and was no longer the costumed character known as the Black Hood. So a very major change in the life of the Black Hood in his very last issue. And, of course, that was the last time he appeared in um, uh, his own title. That title was canceled at that time in the summer of 1946. And, in fact, MLJ, I guess, didn't know quite what to do with the Black Hood after that. And, as I mentioned, the superheroes were losing their popularity at that time. And we didn't hear from the Black Hood until Pep Comics number 59. I mentioned that earlier, that he had appearances in Pep Comics 59 and 60. This was after a six-month um, period of time in which the Black Hood had not appeared in any comic book. And in December of 1946, the uh, Black Hood made his appearance in the pages of Pep Comics uh, number 59. And again, he was a civilian clothes private detective. And at this point in time, uh, Barbara Sutton, who had been changed over time into a newspaper reporter. She was a crime reporter for the local newspaper. In fact, her hair color even changed from being blonde to being uh, a brunette. Uh, she had always been more or less a love interest of uh, Kit Berland. She became his secretary and his sidekick in the pages of issue uh, of Pep Comics number 59 uh, and assisted him in running his private detective agency. And she appeared in this particular story, as she did also in the pages of Black Hood, comics number 19. And then in the last appearance of the Black Hood in the Golden Age of Comic Books, that was in Pep Comics number 60, that was the March 1947 issue, uh, the Black Hood appeared once again, not in costume, merely as a private detective, solving crimes with his superior detective abilities. In fact, in that particular story, the uh, character Barbara Sutton did not even appear. Now, there was another supporting character who appeared in almost every Black Hood story as a backup character, a sidekick, if you will, someone who worked with the Black Hood, and that was his police sergeant, Sergeant McGinty. And Sergeant McGinty appeared not only in all of the other uh, character, uh, st stories that I mentioned, but he also appeared in the last two stories of the Black Hood as a private detective in Pep Comics numbers 59 and 60. And so the Black Hood uh, ceased to exist as a Golden Age superhero in March of 1947 and uh, was later on revived in various uh, ways, uh, first by Archie Comics and then DC had the character appear um, in some titles where it attempted to revive these characters, but never very successfully. And I think uh, the main adventures that you'll read of the Black Hood are in the titles from the Golden Age of Comics that I mentioned. Now, if you want to read the adventures of the Black Hood from the Golden Age of Comic Books, where do you go? Well, 
I mentioned in the past that you can go to goldcomics.com and for about $75 US you can purchase a DVD that contains all of the MLJ superhero stories that were presented in the Golden Age of comic books. Uh, they're all on DVD. It's got a very nice uh, HTML-based navigation feature built into the DVD, and you can read all of these stories that appeared in the Golden Age of comic books. Not only the Black Hood stories, but all of the MLJ superheroes that appeared. So if you want to read all the Black Hood stories, check that out, and I think you'll find uh, that they've done a nice job reprinting those, and I think you'll find the Black Hood stories pretty enjoyable. The Black Hood was certainly one of the most popular MLJ superheroes from the Golden Age of comic books. So what I'm going to leave you with about the Black Hood is the Black Hood Oath. And this appeared on the cover of the Black Hood's very first comic book of his own title. That was, of course, number nine, Black Hood Comics number nine, the winter issue that I mentioned. And on the cover you see the Black Hood raising his right hand to take an oath. And the oath was, I, the Black Hood, do solemnly swear that neither threats, nor bribes, nor bullets, nor death itself shall keep me from fulfilling my sacred vow to erase crime from the face of the earth. So I hope you've enjoyed learning about the Black Hood from MLJ and uh, get another Golden Age character that maybe we'll see revived at some point in the future. All right, well, Happy New Year again, everybody. That's going to uh, do it for our 56th installment of the Golden Age of Comic Books uh, for early January 2008. I hope you've enjoyed learning about the Black Hood. As always, if you want to discuss the topic from this particular episode or any episode of the Golden Age of Comic Books, you can check out the forum at Comic Geek Speak. Uh, look for the Golden Age of Comic Book forum. You'll find the topic posted there for this particular episode. I enjoy all the comments we receive there. Also, of course, you can drop me an email at goldenagecomics at gmail.com. I enjoy many of the emails I receive regarding this show and Golden Age comic books generally. Check out our Comic Space uh, page, comicspace.com forward slash goldenagecomics. I've got a listing there of each episode I've done of Golden Age Comic Books podcast with a hyperlink where you can go to the uh, show notes for each of the episodes. And from there, you can click on a link that will let you listen to that particular episode or download it. Of course, you can always go to, to iTunes, to the podcast section on iTunes, and download the particular podcast that you're interested in from the Golden Age of Comic Books. And, of course, uh, don't forget about our website where I do also list all the show notes. That is goldenagecomics.org. That'll take you to our Blogspot blog where I uh, post all the information about each episode. So, thanks again for joining me on the Golden Age of Comic Books podcast. I hope everybody has a very happy new year. And I look forward to talking to each and every one of you next time about Golden Age Comic Books. <laughs>